Imagine your wedding day on white marble floors beneath crystal chandeliers and exquisite ceiling drapery. Nestled on Long Bay Point Marina in Virginia Beach, the Gala 417 is a modern and luxurious waterfront wedding venue with all-inclusive packages, award-winning catering packages, and a dedicated team of gala girls to assist you every step of the way. The Gala is the perfect place to say, I do. Your dream wedding is just a click away. Learn more at thegala417.com. It's the gentle ocean breeze that sweeps you off your feet. The 99 holes of championship golf that offer endless possibilities. The small town southern charm that embraces you everywhere you go. From the beaches in the east to the marshes in the west, there's a special feeling you get on Amelia Island. It's a real thing. It's an island thing. Make it your thing. Start planning your Northeast Florida beach escape now at AmeliaIsland.com. Hello everybody and welcome back. Thank you for joining me tonight. I have something very special to share with you all. Many of you will have heard of Iger Burtsev, the renowned Russian hominologist, who has searched for over six decades for the answers to the many questions that we have when it comes to Bigfoot or Wildman. Now Russia has a long and detailed history of the forest folk. It's accepted that they exist here. And in most cases, seeing one is seen as a great privilege. Iger has not only travelled the world in search of evidence, he has also collected a great deal of habituation information. When we use the term habituation, we're describing a situation where the people on the land have known of or dealt with the creatures that exist within the woods. In some cases, this relationship, whether good or bad, can take place over generations. Iger is in touch with many witnesses all across the world. I asked him if he'd share a case with me that my listeners would find interesting. And I was amazed at the information and photographic images supplied. And I've put them here for you tonight so you can enjoy them. If you're listening on the podcast, there is a link below that will take you to the photographic images. I'd like to start tonight with one of Iger's most famous cases, the Carter Farm Bigfoot case, where a lady named Janice Carter was raised with Sasquatch creatures on her grandfather's land. Many decades before, her grandfather saved a small baby Bigfoot and helped it to heal. The case covers all of Janice's life and the life of the little Bigfoot. They named him Fox and they habituated until he passed away. The case has fascinated me for years and it's one of the reasons I initially reached out to Iger in the beginning. He works on the case with another famous Russian hominologist, Dmitry Banov, and did that for years. Both Iger and Dimitri visited the Carter farm and spoke with Janice. They also saw evidence of habituation on the site. Janice explained that she first encountered a Bigfoot when she was seven years old. She was out playing on her grandfather's farm in rural Tennessee. She literally ran into one of the creatures. Frozen in fear, Janice was rescued by her grandfather, who rushed to her side and proceeded to stare the creature down until it moved away. A year or so later, 
Her grandfather took her out to the top of a nearby hill to show her the creature again. He brought some table scraps with him to feed it this time. He sat the plate on the ground and he backed away while the large creature came forward and ate the scraps. As time went on, Janice came to realise that there was not just this male creature. There were several of them. And she calls them her forest friends and they were living on the land around the farm. As said, her grandfather first befriended them in the 1940s when he rescued an injured juvenile and he nursed him back to health. He named that juvenile creature Fox when her grandfather became ill and could no longer go out. The creature would come and sleep under the family mobile home, sometimes destroying the underpinning and heating ducts. And when her grandfather passed away, Janice took up the responsibility for feeding and interacting with the creatures. In recent years, Janice decided to tell her family story and she did that with the help of Mary Green. Mary wrote a book called 50 Years with Bigfoot. Now I've tried to get a copy of this for oh, decades and I've never been able to get my hands on one. Janice explained in the book that she grew up among the forest friends and she developed a lasting relationship with them. She said that in addition to their own language, the creatures had learned a good deal of English from the Carter family. Russian Bigfoot researcher Dmitry Banov has focused on the Janice's case, especially on the claim that the creatures can speak English. For his argument is that Bigfoot are more, not an animal, but not quite human. They are, he suggests, best considered to be manimals. Now, the fact that Janice's grandfather could teach young fox English and could coexist in a complex social relationship with a Bigfoot perhaps indicates that the creatures are closer to humans than any other known species. Over the years, Fox was able to communicate his needs to the family, and he would often ask for garlic or cloves or onions. Janice once removed several of his arm hairs in the hopes of testing them for DNA as she passed across a garlic clove for to Fox. Also important to Dmitry Banoff is the story that she told of a burial of a stillborn baby Bigfoot. Digging a hole with their bare hands and with pointed sticks, the creatures buried the infant. And for a long while after the burial, the mother would deliver food to the grave, as if expecting the baby to eat. This suggests, says Dimitri, that Bigfoot may even have a concept of the afterlife. Perhaps most important of all, however, is the claim that the Bigfoot on the Carter farm possessed a language of their very own. Now, it's not only that they acquired a kind of rudimentary English, but that they possessed a spoken language independent of their English training. Janice learned to speak the basics of the Bigfoot language from her grandfather and from Fox and others who could speak both English and Bigfoot. Now, there are examples of many of our hominid cousins having burial rites. What at first was seen as a savage society is now understood in a very different way. For example, for decades we were told that Neanderthalists were brutish bullies with no culture, no language or brain power at all, almost troglodyte. Now we know the opposite, in fact, is the truth. They formed close family groups who healed and nursed each other and grieved at the passing of a loved one. Burial rites were the same as they were for us. They put them in the ground and then they covered that burial site with flowers and they grieved there. Dimitri feels this is the same for the forest folk. As a child, Fox scared Janice and her little sister Lila, 
her grandfather quickly chastised Fox for frightening the girls. By way of an apology, Fox spoke in a Bigfoot language to Lilla and said, Yellow hair, be happy, my little sister. Don't cry. In other words, he was apologetic. He tried to console little Lila that he frightened her and he used her natural traits to calm her in a few touching words. Janice explained that the creatures exhibit very complex social and linguistic behaviour. Here is her experience written for the first time when she reached out to Mary Green after the BRFO initially ignored her reports. Janice said, I should tell you about myself and some of the finer experiences I've had with this animal Bigfoot. We call him that now. I called him a monster when I was younger. My name is Janice Carter Coy. I now own and run an antique business and I consider myself quite logical in most matters. I don't spook easily and I only know of two things I'm really scared of. A person with a gun aimed at me or a Bigfoot. The last turns me into a downright chicken when I feel that feeling washing over me. You know what I'm talking about, if you're for real, if you've seen them. If not, you're just going to laugh with the rest of them and make it into a big joke anyway. I can take the fun making, as I'm dead level serious about Bigfoot. I don't care who thinks what about me, as long as I can help in the discovery of one of these animals. Then let us see who has the last laugh, she says. I understand that sentiment. She said, when I was seven and a half in the month of late June, I ran ahead into a male Bigfoot. I didn't realise he was a male until I was much older. My grandfather, who I call Papa, and I were out blackberry picking and he'd sent me back to the house from the backside of the property to get a water jug filled. On returning, I could see my Papa through the trees and the underbrush ahead of me. And all of a sudden, I ran into a Bigfoot's knee area smack it backed up a few steps and turned towards me i was frozen stiff i couldn't scream i couldn't make myself move and i wet myself it scared the holy fool out of me i must have made some kind of sound at some point because papa came to me papa got in front of me and he just stared at it at first and then he started talking to it like he did to the young spooked horses he owned and the ones that he trained at the time it did move off after a time and it looked back at us the whole time until it disappeared from sight behind the trees. Our land was heavily forested at the time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And it had lots of underbrush and briars. Papa later had it cleared to pasture. My uncle still lives there and he won't even stay there by himself at night unless he has to. He calls it that big foot of werewolf. He claims he saw it in the year August 2001. It was in the front yard and he went out to feed the dogs one night. He came to my house for two weeks after this stay with us and he'd stay there at night because it scared him that much. He made one of us go down to the old home with him so he could feed the dogs during the daytime. Our house was a little cramped as I'm married with six children between us. Not too long after that, something got two of the dogs in October and another my cousin had given to my uncle in November. No trace of the dogs have ever been found. Anyway, Bigfoot may or may not still be around at the home place. I do not like going there and I'm not going to go and try and find out. I'll say this, I do not want to help you capture one of these things at no amount of cost. You couldn't pay me enough for that. You or someone else are welcome to that task. That's nothing to do with me. I just want to see one up close behind some type of enforcement that it can't get to me from when one's caught. I do want to know what species it is for sure. I want to know if it's hate, human, a beast, a prehistoric man or what. I can't tell you for sure. It's an animal of some sort, I know. I just don't know what. I understand what Janice means. If I could go back to that day and see him with a barrier between us, I wouldn't have been as scared. I don't think I would have been as scared. Maybe I'm speculating. Maybe there's a possibility that I would have actually got a real good look at him. Um, I feel the same as Janice, that I'd love to go back to that day, to my first initial sighting, you know. But I couldn't do it as a 15-year-old. That would be impossible. She said, I did go undergo hypnosis once to see if I was dreaming. Um, I was about 21 years of age and the therapist did not know what to think or make of it. She said, he thought it may have been a bear or a pet chimp um, and that I'd just seen it as a monster. The truth is, either my papa was nuts or the bravest man I have ever known. Or he just had a soft spot for critters. I don't know which, but he did tame this thing down. It had been raiding the potato and corn bins in the barn, and it also stripped our fruit trees at the time. We had apples, plums and cherry trees. It also liked muscadines and berries and persimmons too, and we had it all there. It did not like the chestnut trees. Papa would get them the nuts, and he would take them out to eat them, but they wouldn't go under the trees. And I can't say I blame them, as you get needles in your bare feet. And they're a royal pain to pick out. I know this from experience. Papa said he called it his fox and I should do this too. Not to tell the rest of the family it was there because it'd scare them. I thought there was nothing like my grandfather on this earth. I thought he walked on water and to this day he's still my hero. He'd gone out to a better place now. But he is still tops in my book, she said. So I just kept my mouth shut for a while. And then my little sister had it get after her one time when she was at the carport. 
and she got under the car at the same time until one of the men came out and it left. After that, we talked about it some to the rest of our family. My mum, and on a few occasions, she just thought we were making up a tall tale. Grandma and uncle knew better. Mum even saw it twice with me over the years, and she still called it a hairy man. It left a big dent in the top right side of a trailer one night in later years. I think it came to the house looking for Papa, and then it'd go up under the trailer where Grandma and my uncle would be. My sister stayed with my mum after my Papa got sick with cancer, and he finally passed in 1996. So this would have been 94, um, as he did all the chores up until then. He had an operation in August of that year, and another in the following August. I think Bigfoot was looking for Papa to feed it, as this was winter and cold, and it may have even missed him. It did come to the house on several other occasions before that incident. Bigfoot at one time slept under Mum's trailer, and we had to keep putting up with the underpinning and taping it up on the heating ducts every day. Once, it was still there when I went under to place the vent back up. I got Papa to come out and get it out from under the trailer that day. I'm sorry, but I just don't trust it not to kill me or someone else if you were to make it mad. I owned a pet shop in New York once. I had a spider monkey in it for sale. And it would tear you up if it smiled at it. It was very strong for its size. And I can just imagine the damage a Bigfoot could do if it was riled up. She said to Mary, I know this letter is getting very long, but I have so much information on the subject of Bigfoot. I do want you to contact me and please don't put this off as some kind of BS. It's the truth and I want some help and someone besides my husband to talk to and discuss this issue with. I think, unless you see one of these things, you tend to live in a fantasy world where they don't exist. Thank you, Janice Carter Carr. I cannot imagine what it was like for Janice growing up. I know her little sister Lilia also had interactions with some of the clan. Janice stated when she reached puberty, she was attacked by a male Bigfoot that broke her leg. In a video with Iger, Janice explains how the creatures hunted and they would run up on a deer or a buck from behind. they place a hand under its chin and pull backwards sharply, breaking the spinal column. In 2012, the Bigfoot evidence made an email from a person who claimed to have attended the death of Fox on Carter Farm. Robert Lindsay also reported a week ago or so that Sally Raymer, Dr Ketchum's former publicist, was also a witness to Fox's death. Here is the email and the post by Robert. I was part of the group that visited Fox while he was dying and I needed to share this story. There was Sally Raymer, myself and a few other people. I was invited because I work in the environmental field and I'm open-minded about the existence of Sasquatch. I'd never seen one until that day, but I'd heard many stories about them in the area. I rode to the area with Sally and John. John's a biologist and a professor from Canada, and Sally later told me that he's regarded as one of the top researchers in his field. I didn't speak with the others as we needed to be quiet when entering the area, and we'd driven there in separate vehicles. We hiked into the area and saw a large hole. I was later told this was the hole where Fox would be buried upon his passing. This was located at the base of a rocky ledge. There were three or four trees by the ledge and it was an area that would not wash away over the course of time from rain. The creatures buried their dead and John began shaking when he saw the hole. He later said this was because he finally saw proof of what many people had believed for years, 
he walked past this area and we saw a number of Sasquatch. A male and female were on each side of Fox, the juveniles peeking from behind trees. I then saw Fox had extremely swollen feet and they looked almost like he was stricken with gout. His feet were bleeding as he lay on the ground and we had to wait for him to make a sound and then we approached him slowly. We each brought a gift or an offering for Fox. We stopped at a local store on our way to the area to buy some things. Fox had come to like over the years gingerbread and tobacco and we carried each one and we laid it next to him and went upon entering the area. The gift included a bag of chewing tobacco, some peanut butter and some kind of shortbread. The bag of tobacco was opened and Fox put the whole pouch in his mouth at one time. He didn't bother to spit and he ate the peanut butter whilst also having the tobacco in his mouth. Fox spoke in a weird dialect with the occasional word of English. She said upon viewing Fox, John became very emotional and began to cry. He had a difficult time maintaining his composure and tears were rolling down his cheeks. It was exciting and also frightening. I admit I was shaking the entire time and I did not want to do anything that may anger them in any way. I did notice that the male Sasquatch are very dominant over the females. The male Sasquatch struck the female when she got close to the gifts of food that we brought for Fox. And he said, and became very, very angry. I wonder what that was like for them going in, you know, and, and seeing that. Not only are you discovering for the first time that these creatures that you've searched for your entire lifetime are actually real. But then the first interaction with them is the death of their leader. It must be incredibly moving for the people and something I would imagine they would never forget. Now we go to some of Iger's reports that he's taken in Northern Europe and you will see the similarities. Please excuse some of the grammar in tonight's tale as the story is being translated into English from the local Russian dialect as it takes place in Chablinsk near Russia. Now, Natalia Puzanova has been interacting with a number of creatures on her home property, which is situated in a very rural area. Natalia used the name Lashuna to describe the wild man that she was gifting and communicating with. Natalie said, I've known Lashuna for around 20 years now. His height is more than two metres tall. His hair is auburn, or rather the colour of a good cognac. Lashuna has a family. His mate is known as Leshenai, and there are two children that I've seen them with. He understands people when they speak, but he only speaks to me with telepathy. I can't hear them with my ears, but I can hear them with my mind. I didn't see them all together always. At first, I did not see him at all, and then I'd see him once or twice. Sometimes with Leshuni, sometimes with one of his children. I noticed their tracks too, and the trails that they made would always lead to the marshy area. I liked to leave foodstuffs out for him. I wanted Lashuni to trust me, so I chose one place by myself that I felt would be a good area to leave gifts and for me to watch them away from people. I know a lot of things about him now. I've never collected them specifically for evidence. It just was fun to watch him in the forest. I don't care about footprints and hair samples. I just want to be friends with him. I want to visit as a friend would talking, feeding, scolding him for his trash. I've seen a lot of things, Igor. So I just do not know what you may be interested in. 
Iger let Natalia know that he was interested in any or all information that she may have. What was it like to interact with these creatures? How does she feed them? What gifts does she give them? And Natalia said, I often take food down to the river. I go two or three times a week. You're just walking in the forest on the edge of the swamp. And I leave Lashunia a bag with the food inside. I sit and I wait for him and then he comes and he takes the contents of the bag. He eats it closely and then when the package is empty, he leaves me. I use the same pack of sweets several times so now I know he has a sweet tooth. He loves gingerbread, caramel and chocolate. And if I leave a taste his mate likes, he takes this to his mate. And in the summer, I left him food directly on the gifting stone. I left the same gingerbread and candy without closing the tin to see if mice or small creatures were eating them and not my friend. And at first I'd hide them in nooks or put stones on top of them and the stones would be placed to the side with the packets underneath them. So no bird, no mouse is doing this. You know, no one touches the food other than Lashuna. And once we had to go to another place to give gifts. All the food that I left him at the same time was untouched, even the cakes and a meat pie which he loves. Someone apparently alerted him or warned him that maybe this food was not safe to eat. I have noticed a huge black crow when I brought food in the past, and I've left some food out for the crow too, but he didn't eat it either. He took the bread in his beak and flew towards the shuni's lair. I think they worked together, him and that crow. Another time I was with my son when we got to the swamp. We'd been out together with Lashuna's food and cakes. I didn't hide them. I put them on the bag and the candy too. And they sat there for 14 days, all completely untouched. And I realised he expressed to me his displeasure that I'd come to the swamp, not alone, but also with my male son. The gingerbread was drowned in the swamp. I found out Lashuna likes to look pictures on pieces of paper or on the wrappers that I leave. However, these pictures I've started hiding under a rock to trick him and he still finds them. And he pulls the treats out and he examines the packaging carefully. This little accident happened when I moved from the mountains to the swamp. I had a number of leaflets which I was going to use as kindle for my fire. And since I didn't make a fire, they were just still out there. But I couldn't find them. And then on my next visit, I found them close to the swamp. They were all hidden away under rocks, just as unnecessary garbage. Or was he hiding them there from me? I don't know. And then I came upon these booklets and that they'd been read and they'd been scattered around the trees. And I was surprised that he'd even found them and took them. An interesting case occurred in the September of the same year. I came to the forest and I was astonished to find next to his dining room two dozen broken birch trees, many of them with green foliage. I was shocked by the broken trees, there's such a number of them. They're green and thick, and I think he broke it yesterday or the day before, as the break was fresh. I was here two days ago, and there was not such a mess as now. And why the whole series of birches? Why not just one or two? I thought maybe he'd block the way to avoid people, you know, with the broken birches. But people actually go there very rarely. It's high up on the mountain. That's why I chose this place for gifting. It's not easy to get in there if you don't know the tracks and trails. There are the most difficult banks to climb. I just do not understand how you can break such thick, fresh birch. It's impossible. And then it dawned on me. Eureka. He's a lesher and he's bending and breaking trees.
Now, for context, the Russian names for their wild folk are many, but most folk recognize the names Alma, Almas, Leshy, and Puka, all half human, half animal creatures that live in the woodlands. In history, it's said that the Leshy would come down from the hills at night and steal and feed on the crops. Natalia is explaining that at first, she thought her finds and gifts were being left and taken by mice and birds. So she set a pattern of stones out on her food gifts and she'd leave for a few days or hours and when she returned, the stones would be lined up and the food would be gone. Some of the wrappers would be clearly left empty and yet others would vanish, which Natalia believes was for the other members of the clan to eat. Over time, she would catch a glimpse of her cognac-coloured wild man and he would quickly eat his food, hide the wrappers under stones and rocks and then take off into the woods. Natalia at first was put out by his littering until she realised he was just mirroring her behaviour. So she set about leaving her gifts in stranger and hardy places to get to and the game would carry on. Iger asked Natalia if this was the first time she was aware of the creature in the area and she explained that she'd always known, most of the people around here knew. Her first personal encounter happened when she was quite young. Natalia explained, you asked when I first saw them. Well, it was a very long time ago when I was young. Myself and my friend Svetlana went into the forest looking for ripe strawberries to pick. We began to collect them from the area around the swamp on the opposite side, closer to the village. And as we were picking, I heard the crackling of trees in the swamp. Something was moving in there, so I got up and I saw something the colour of red wool. I thought it was a cow that was lost in the forest. I just shrugged it off and continued to collect strawberries. But this cow continued to approach me. And when she was maybe 10 metres away from me, I realised who it was. For some reason, I immediately called him a junior. And there was no surprise, much less fear. I always knew him. I took our connection for granted. I even just about fell in love with him. He was such a handsome thing with an intelligent expression. He was not an animal. And then I remembered about Svetlana. I thought if she saw him, she'd just die from fear. So I ran to her and commanded without explanation, you need to run. And we quickly got away from there. She's a very nervous psych, more nervous than I. I just said that someone was walking in the swamp and that they'd scared me. Thereafter, Lashunia always accompanied me when I came into the forest. And at first I didn't see him, but the smell of his smell would soon appear. And you can even imagine what he can do. He has magical powers. He speaks with telepathy and he warns me what days I should not go to the forest and why. How does he know this? If I'm going into the woods as I leave the house, I hear in my head, do not go, it will harm your leg. And at the same moment, my leg starts to wake as if I've sprained it. And that pain becomes a limp. And it lasted for several hours. But I had no injury. Why did he want me to stay home? At times, he warns me to take mosquito repellent when there are a lot of them about. He's like my grandfather. And he can be like a spoiled child, begging for gingerbread. If I don't bring it when I visit, and he cries, why did you not bring the gingerbread? And the answer was, because you're fat. This he did not like. He can be kind, and he loves to show me the birds. Many years ago, when I came into the forest, he always asked me, 
Do you want to see the bird? Turn your head and see him. And there, sitting next to a big branch, would be a huge black cock crow. And at the lake, I always met birds with him. We'd sit close to an eagle or a strange black woodpecker. Or a jay perched near the nest of Lashunia, and I wouldn't want to leave. Natalia said and Lashuna showed him more and more of his new constructions, made from the wreckage of branches, sticks and even tree trunks. At first glance, it looked like natural formation, but a closer look shows that they are tree trunks and they've been formed, they are handmade. And you can see in them that some of them, there's a kind of language or intelligence. Sometimes it's just a show of force, perhaps as there would be, you know, twisted and squashed thick branches or trunks. Sometimes they would look like intricate constructions and sometimes even artworks. And among them, there are clear signs that they carried some information to an unknown us. I could ask Natalia to describe her home, the village and the mountains and the woods. She said, the village in which I live is the most amazing place. I'm who, I moved here, but I was born in Chablinsk. Only when I moved here did I begin to understand Bazov. I saw what others did not. I wanted to live in the world beyond the towns. And this place is closed off from everyone. It's very remote with little resources to hand. So it's also called a black spot or a point not of importance to the planet of outsiders. Most people are scared to come here. And here I found my paradise. I found my habitat. I never want to leave these woods. So I feel well here, complete. My favourite habitat is the woods. And apparently for me, it's a time when I want to share my knowledge of the beyond. I want to show my handsome Lashuna too. He's kind. Don't make him angry. Don't try to hurt him. Otherwise, you can perish in that forest. It is impossible to cheat him. He sees and feels all in advance. And I was given such a gift by him. I can sense all of the things that he senses, even those that I won't meet until the future. I'll explain. One day we were in the forest and I smelled a beautiful smell. It was one I didn't know. And it turned out to be the smell of a perfume that I bought myself many years later. If I feel the sense of Lashunia, I have everything inside your calm. He soothes me. We're just friends, me and him. I'm his best friend. So he trusts me and I trust him. So many years now we've been friends and he continuously surprises me with his magical powers. Here's another example. I went looking for mushrooms, but I only found a little gathering. It's not really enough for what I wanted. And he said, why have you picked so few? And the answer was, there isn't enough. And suddenly I see by every tree white mushrooms. I cut them and sliced them and I ate them on the lake. And I turned to sit down on the stone and again, all around me was full of white mushrooms. I left a bag near the stone and began to cut as many mushrooms as I could. And then I came back to that bag and I shivered as next to it was the largest mushroom I've ever seen. And it wasn't there seconds ago. And it was already fully grown. In our folklore magic, there is a leshy spell and it says a leshy is over you like the cross is over a church, meaning he looks after the forest dwellers. That's why they all serve him. Ravens bring him food. Woodpeckers remove larvae and give them to him. 
Well, that's my opinion, she said. Iger asked Natalia what it felt like when Lushinya communicated with her. Did it come in feelings? You know, did it come in words? And Natalia said, I hear his words in my head. There's a heavy feel, a warmth. I think of him and he appears. You do not have to hunt to find them. Just let them know you have an interest in them and they'll find you if they want to. She said, I'd like to explain a little bit about their home and how they live in the forest. They have a dungeon dugout or a pit in the ground. And each family has its nest that was dug large enough for them and then covered with sticks and leaves. At this point, I kind of reminded of Iger's Zana's dugout. And if you don't know the story of Zana, the Russian wild woman, you can find the details on Google. And it's a case Iger has worked on for decades. Zana was sold to a rich landowner. He built her a cage, but she preferred to sleep in a small dugout pit in the ground. She birthed eight children, only four survived, and their descendants still live in the region to this day. Natalia explained, I went online and I listened to the noises of Bigfoots that people had said, and nothing really caught my attention until one. And I realised on hearing that, that I hear it most days. I'm just so used to it, I never realised. It sounds all the time on the mountain in front of my house. I hear it at night even with the windows closed. But I didn't think that this was Lashunya. Only once I realised it was his voice, and I sensed that it was him. And the sound is like a big, long, drawn-out, ooh. Over the years of dealing with Lashunya, she said, I began to understand that the structures that he creates, their type of form, carry information. She says, I'm an experienced palmist. I work along the lines of the palm like a book, and I can read fate. And these constructs, these things that he makes, I also learn to read them like a book, and what he plans, or what he, what makes him mad. I have long learned to understand his thoughts and actions just by tuning into him. For example, he does not like it when pine trees are cut, and he expresses his discontent by wringing the tops of the pines, or even twisting them in their entirety. And this is that why there are very, very many crease pines here on the land. And sometimes he hangs on birch's branches. He will put the prickly needles of the bough. And this is also his way of showing indignation. Those arches, this is his greeting. A square is his protection. He feels he's protected in this position. The whole forest is divided into sectors. And in each sector, there are arches pointers and arch is a sign of welcome a sign of respect and care towards people a high arch means a great site for people to walk where there are no crevices a shallow arch means a small territory after which obstacles begin to be dangerous for the humans in the area humans just can't read these signs i know people all across the globe are trying to work out what these signs mean and are they a language in itself? You know, like the earliest written language known to man called the Vinca Code. Vinca is found written in caves across Europe. And before man declared borders, the less you were free to roam wherever they wanted. Some people believe they even crossed the ice bridge into the UK. In our next case shared by Igor, we go to the Vinitsa region of Ukraine while we look at the evidence finds and the interesting observations of Sika Mazur 
Now, despite his young age, he has already had many years invested in the subject and he has collected various data about hominids. Zika began to notice signs of visiting close to his village near the forest by these mysterious bipeds, namely those most notorious broken branches and trunks of trees that you find. Later on, such signs began to appear in the garden of Zika's home, so we did not even have to go out often into the forest to find them. It was enough to go out into the garden. But in the summer and autumn, the question of the presence of hominids was still in dispute, still up in the air. But with the onset of winter and the formation of snow cover, doubts have disappeared as large footprints with clear fingerprints begin to appear in the snow. The footprints left by the wild man match those the world over, said Iger. In our last case from Iger, we go to the foothills of the Oriole Mountains and we meet a man who has ongoing interaction after he freed a young Bigfoot from a bear trap back in 2008. Local eyewitness Alex Cherepabnov was 14 while untrapping his baby Bigfoot that he now calls Greg, and he's now 29. Alex freed the wild man from a bear trap. In August of 2016, Alex was then 22 and he was driving on a rural road with three girls when suddenly they hit somebody. They stopped to look out to see who they'd hit and they saw a huge forest person. Not the one saved by Alex many years ago, but another one entirely. Alex was very scared and they tried to escape, but the creature jumped onto the car's trunk. It broke all of the hind glass and it fell down onto the ground, and Alex had to drive away. Iger stated, Since that event, Alex has had several encounters, and I've had several expeditions there in July and November of 2020. And in December of 2021, I went there also. In November of 2020, for two evenings, I had the happiness of meeting and handshaking with that creature. It appeared to me that they can speak Russian, though they distorted their pronunciation. And in May of 2021, while being in Colorado at the conference, we arranged the phone session with one of the creatures in which David Powellides and some others took part. They all were speaking to him using Alex's phone. It would seem that a small number of people on the earth have had the pleasure or the honour of seeing one of our forest friends in the flesh. To shake the hand of one, you know, or to attend at the passing of another is rarer than anything I can name. Without this information collected by Iger and Dimitri, we would know none of this. These cases would just pass into obscurity. And that would be a sin in my eyes. You know, each person, each creature, has a truth of its own to tell. I've included links to all of Iger's social media sites. Why don't you pop across? and look at some of his other cases. The work that he did on Bluff Creek is absolutely phenomenal. I hope you enjoyed tonight's upload. And once again, if you're listening via the podcast, here's a link to all of the images provided by Iger. Thank you for tuning in tonight. If you're a new listener or an old listener, we really enjoy the fact that you come here week in, week out. And if you're listening for the first time, why don't you subscribe? We put stories and uploads like this out every week. And on a Saturday YouTube channel at 8pm, there's a chat box at the side of the video so that you can chat with me or some of the members of BBR, the witnesses, or just make new friends. 
So I'll be back this time next week. Good night, everyone. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.